This episode is sponsored by Overcast, a better podcast app than whatever you're using right now. Unless it's Overcast. Get Overcast for free on the App Store. Welcome to the Ajima Show. I'm your host, Peter Kim. And I'm your other host, Unji Kim. And we are the only internet show hosted by two queer Koreans <laughs> that um, that are dealing with mental health. <laughs> yeah, this shit has taken a turn in pandemic. It's taken a turn. Inside a pandemic. Yeah. And also, I don't think no one so is much. wants to watch anything about pandemic yet like jokes or any sort of content really but no. i think these kind of conversations particularly around mental health are like the only things that yes it's it's absolutely necessary and we all have to fucking fight the stigma of mental health being a shameful thing like no one would be like oh um i don't know i i, I got into an accident and i need my hip replaced no one's gonna be like oh you're you're uh, there's something wrong with your physical health yeah <sighs> for shame for shame put some tiger bomb on it and quit complaining yeah. <laughs> get over yourself i mean i, I guess our parents do, do yeah that, exactly but, uh, <laughs> i mean but i would say that just inside of the pandemic and given stats within the asian american community like this is a social justice issue like yes. asian american as asian americans we are so deeply um, underrepresented inside of uh, people who seek out help for mental health. So, you know, yeah. so in this way, I think this is incredibly pertinent. Um, Peter and I were just yeah. talking off the pod, off mic about sort of um, various mental health, health things that we're experiencing. And um, yeah, so Peter, you were talking about a new therapist and then you success, all this stuff. Well, I... Um I have a new therapist that I've I've talked about on the pod and we have been kind of breaking I, I I've been breaking some stuff down this week. Okay. Um so I just like to share that. You know, and, and whatever if you want to share about where your mental health is. Yes. You know, we're all very excited to like learn more about how we approach mental health as Asian Americans first gens yeah you know this is uncharted territory so <laughs> fuckers out there like yeah. whoever you know like even if you're not asian american immigrant american we have latino americans who listen to the podcast and it all translates and you know the idea behind emotional intelligence or even the vocabulary around dealing with your emotions and your mental your thoughts this is not something we are privileged to you know, like, right. sure, you know, like white girls named Braylon have had therapists all their lives. Yeah. You know, they have they even have the horse therapists. Yeah. You know what I mean? So they, they got they got into therapy after their parents first divorce. Yeah, sure. All of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like we we're just a little behind. So we're just getting into the dealing of the mental health. I talked to my therapist. Shout out to Sharon. She this week and I told her that. I have been, I noticed that I keep a lot of people in my life at arm's distance. Yeah. Um, and I don't like to really get mucky with it. 
<laughs> for the the scientific term. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I, as I grow old, I have my old friends, right? right. Like my high school, college friends right. who like will fight, will argue, but we're coming back to zero. You know, like yeah. it's always the same thing, and and it's great. With newer friends, especially i.e. comedy friends, people I met through comedy, which I consider more cohorts, co-workers, yes. I- industry peers than I do friends. Yes. And, and, and you know, for me, a, a friend is someone who it, I, I am intimately involved with okay. and I um, and I care about their well-being, mental uh, and otherwise. And I just don't enjoy doing that with people because <laughs> I'd rather not. I'm <laughs> I, I have a bad personality. I don't like no I you know, like okay, uh, we have friends in common, a couple that always yeah. fight and they're toxic with each other. And I yes. want to there's a part of me that wants to reach out to one of them and be like, Hey, you're in a toxic relationship. I don't like how you are being treated i don't like how you treat yourself in this i don't like the excuses you're making but there's a part of me uh, there's a bigger part of me that goes don't even get involved she's not your friend like that you don't love her like that you know like if she left you and and, you know uh, you know went out of your life forever you could not care you have no emotions you have no space for her so i walk around with that kind of inkling of like, ah, uh, I want to help them. But I also go, no, don't get involved. And if any of my friends, my new friends, yeah. like ever have like drama or they're acting crazy or whatever, like mm-hmm. I cut them immediately out. Like I burn that bridge and I go, <laughs> you will never touch me. You can't, <laughs> you can't hurt me. You can't, uh, you know, sway me. You have no power over me. And yeah. I was talking to Sharon about this and she goes, you know, um, something that I'm going to tell you, you know, you might want to like think about a lot this week, which is no relationships are devoid of conflict. And conflict does not equal a bad relationship. It actually equals a good relationship because you are coming to things with different points of views and you are conflicting and then you are presenting your own points of views and you're talking through it and then you're meeting each other. So a conflict actually deepens the relationship. Okay. You know, if you're both approaching it as adults, Mm -hmm. but you, she's talking to me, tend to avoid all conflict. Yeah. Like, and you'd rather not because... Your your trauma tells you that when there's conflict, there's danger and there's violence and right. there's people who leave you. Mm-hmm. You have abandonment issues right. and therefore you close yourself off so that you can be emotionally unassailable. But then because of that, you walk around your life with no vulnerability with your friends you only have this like surfacey kind of relationship. Right. Like you don't get to be vulnerable with them and they don't get to be vulnerable with you because you won't let them. Yeah. And you gross. won't let yourself yeah. do that. It's yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. No. 
And which is why I joke a lot yeah. and I undercut serious moments mm-hmm. and I don't let things breathe and I I I don't my temper and my you know my you know my hot temper and my impatience makes me very cut and dry with people which is what makes me very good in business right. and in the professional world because I I carry no emotional weight around with me and no emotional space for anyone. Yeah. Um, but I am realizing that because of that, I my relationships currently, even familial and otherwise romantic, mm-hmm. I I I present a strong front, but what people in my life need to see from me is my weakness and I am not sure how to do that (laughs) I mean I do it on the pod here I do it with you but again this is a very controlled environment yes so uh, uh, you know like I, I I need to find a way to trust people again like overall yeah I mean so I, I have a very similar attitude about comedy friends as you do. Like I never yeah. go to a second location. I've never <laughs> got, you know what I mean? I've like, we go, we you hang know out. better. Yeah. I'm like, we're going to hang out at the club or at the comedy place. And then you're going to your place. and You're all hanging out. I am uninterested yeah. in following you there. That yeah. would imply a closeness that we do not possess. Right. You might call me someday. Like, I don't. <laughs> That's exactly it. I don't want to be bothered with a call for like, can you take me to LAX? Yeah, I, I just, I don't. I don't want to have to say no to you. I, I, I don't have the bandwidth. And exactly. for me, I, and this is, I think, something that is wrong is that I perceive myself as carrying a lot of things. I've got my own shit. Shit. Yeah, like it's not just. We got shit. We got shit. It's not just the trauma. It's not just the burden of all the stuff of POC and all this like regular living life as our face. Ancestral shame, yeah. you know, like. It's not just that. It's just the other stuff. And so I feel like I'm already carrying like five suitcases and you're right. asking me to carry a handbag. Bitch, you right. can carry your own handbag. Just walk alongside right. me. I don't need, we don't need to share <laughs> this load. Our burdens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. back like, and forth. You don't, yeah. you don't want this bag either. Like, you don't want mine. Well, that's what I think Sharon is saying is let them. Let them help you carry your bags. And and that's correct. Like, so my perception is that, like, because I don't, I see it as, like, actual burden and that I do not have enough strength to take on more. Right. Whereas if you come from a place of abundance, per se, that means that, not that I'm seeing it as only taking on more. And the truth of this is that we would be sharing the burden. Right. And when dispersed over multiple people, right. the burden feels way less. Yes. And then you can take on the more. The thing is, I have been burned so much in my youth. Same. That, yeah, exactly. Same. By, by friends. friends. Yes. By friends. Being taken advantage of. Because like when yes. you're too vulnerable and you also don't have a template for what a healthy relationship looks like. Yeah. I was also very needy. Same. As a Yeah. As a young... <laughs> queer Korean yeah. uh, just trying to fit in yeah so I was told at age 16 that I was too needy yeah. so I went completely backwards and I was like I'll never need anyth- anyone again 
and I'm gonna be independent, and I will rise <laughs> on my own haunches. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. I, I had the same exact same experience multiple right. times with friends. And some of it now when I look back on like what's clearly like me harboring romantic feelings and didn't like that feeling. So when they were mean oh, to I me, see. they were just like That's that's way harsher. Yeah, yeah, but I didn't even process it that way. It's only in retrospect. Oh. Like you feel oh. crazy. I think a lot of queer people can identify with it. it was like that happened to me. Yeah, I thought my best friend and I were in love. Yes. In high school, turns out I was in love, and he was not even close to there. Yes. And that really fucked me. And um, you learned to not the way trust the rest your of my friends. Yeah, but yes, you, you exactly. Learned to not trust your feelings or if, yourself or your yes. own thoughts, and yeah. And so, like that, I feel like it's several times it was like, "Oh, this is my best friend," and it's like not even being able to articulate it as being like a romantic, but like certainly right. it was. Like I would be jealous. It's like a lot of possessiveness, right. and it's like, you know, if it's like you know, because you, you're sharing an intimacy that you both are aware of sharing. Yes, but this person is gaslighting you and saying, "No, no, no, no. that what we shared is not what you say it is." It's something you're overdoing, and it which be to me is like, yeah, it's like, uh, then I can't <clears throat> be open with anyone because I can't keep doing this. I can't keep yes. my heart on my sleeve bleeding out yes. and, and to, for it to get trampled over and over again. That's an early childhood trauma for me, you know, and, and on top of that, just being in a, a household where my dad was violent, like. I don't I didn't have a, a sense of safety or a sense of home or a sense of like neutral neutral place like everything was always on guard. Yes. And this therapist is saying now to this 30 almost 39 year old man <laughs> that he needs to let his guard down and know that not everyone is your dad, not everyone is your best friend from high school. Right. You can't, I could live my whole life just assuming everyone's going to hurt me, but there might be a better way. Maybe. Uh, yes. There no, might I, be I, a better way, yes. maybe. Yeah, and <laughs> <laughs> there's a slight chance that I, there's a different path. No, I think she makes a great point. And it's just something I just realized is that, Peter, think about it. If some, if we were vulnerable, if you were vulnerable and that person wound up hurting you, let's say not hurting you because, I mean, let's be real, we're not going to be naked. We'll take off our pants. You know, we're never going to be like that kind of vulnerable. But like, you know, what? we're never going to be like completely naked. We'll just take off your pants. We'll give them a little bit of a, you know, we'll show them a, our a nipples. Nip. Yeah. yeah. But like, <laughs> but, but, you know, like. Even if we were to be vulnerable in that way and they were to ultimately betray, quote unquote, or which is such like a Korean concept because it's betrayal, because this is what we're feeling. Um, but like they were to hurt you or disappoint you in some way. Yeah. I don't. Down. Yeah. I don't see us at 38 responding the same way we did at 16. There's just no way. That it's just like by virtue of the detritus of life that has clung to us, we have developed calluses. We're not 16, right? Yeah. So just like by virtue of 
having lived a life and um, having been super, you know, at this point, like we're we're wizened, world weary humans. I just don't think yeah. we would be hurt in the same way. Does that feel yeah. better? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's true for me. Like a couple of weeks ago, I had, I reached out to a friend and I was like, I was just bored at home. Yeah. Which like rarely happens. Right. So yeah. I'm just like, okay. Um, hey, what are you doing? And they were like, oh, we're going to go over to this friend's place mm -hmm. to have dinner. Yeah. And I immediately felt that 16 year old, like I'm not included. <laughs> How come I wasn't invited? Well, uh, who am I going to hang out with then? <laughs> you know, like, and that flooded back to me, that insecurity of like, I'm wonked that out of this, Yeah, you know, and which is not the case at all. Right. It's not. It, it, it That's me placing of value, a judgment on this situation about myself. Right. About like, oh, I must be unworthy to have dinner with. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile... <laughs> They didn't even think about me yeah, as part of the equation. Right. But like I've already started spinning this narrative right. of like, oh, they don't want to be around me because, you know, like m maybe I'm too like, I don't know, too loud or too uh, forward or whatever. Right. And uh, starts and my head starts spinning already. And I'm like, well, what the fuck are you doing? Mm -hmm. Why are you going down this route? You know, like you're already like thinking that the whole the world is out to get you yes. because they got me before and of course they're getting me again you know <laughs> i mean peter i i have this spiral every time i go on social media every time someone ever uh, discusses and if anyone in my life ha has goes to attends a function where i'm not invited like, even if it's with their own family, I'm offended. Even if it's not in your state? Yeah. Yeah. I'm offended. They didn't even think of me. They didn't want to invite me. I'm a wonderful time. <laughs> like, I am low-key. I mean, the thing is, I my knee-jerk reaction is always that. But I can talk myself down from it. That's what I mean. It's like, it's not the same kind of spiral that occurred for me right, at 16. Right, right. Like, right. you were able to... We have more tools. Yeah. And, and we have a certain amount of perspective. We know that people are oftentimes not thinking of you. It's just how it is. So yeah. I, that in that way, I think I can sort of see how being vulnerable might be. I guess that's good. <laughs> People listening to us too, trying to uh, 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 trying to be vulnerable is the fucking craziest thing. I'm sure you guys are like watching two idiots. Like, Ugh, yeah, I don't like being sad it's like it's like watching two monkeys use a, a hammer for the first time <laughs> some stone tool yeah like thunk thunk i mean because yeah. it's like because i think in it, when you i this is something i've realized and this is what kind of started my own mental health thing about how often i just tolerate so much mm. like a base level mm. of pain base whatever and i've talked about it before yeah. about just physically but I was talking to some comics this past, um, after JFL, and they were talking about how they were all like, uh, now contributing for The Onion and stuff like that. Yeah. And they're all POC, 
and they were talking about the process and um, they were like, well, you know, we get feedback now. And she was like, mm. you did this too. And I, I had, I did a trial for ClickHole, like at this point, five years ago. Mm. And uh, they did not give us any feedback. What had happened mm. was I was uh, nine months pregnant and the ClickHole Fellowship was about to, the, the submissions were due. I was going into labor mm. and the submission was due. So I, before I went to the hospital, I like rechecked the submission, <laughs> made sure all the <laughs> periods were in the right, correct space, uh, sent it, and then went to the hospital. Okay. In the hospital after delivery is when I got the email that um, I had been accepted for the trial. Okay. Now, in the, so then it began. So I was in the first six weeks postpartum after I'd had a surgery oh, and had given birth to a baby. I was oh doing this trial and uh -huh. no one was helping me. <laughs> they were not giving me feedback. I was not asking for it. Uh -huh. And I also never told them that I had ha just had a baby. Had <laughs> and then, so clearly, and then I got, they were like, listen, you're getting close, but not, you know, like we'd like to see more from you. Again, mm. gave me no feedback, just gave me okay. that note. Uh -huh. And then I asked and they said, we don't actually do that. And they didn't. They did not. This is a new thing. Oh. Yes. They give no okay. feedback. They, do, they literally wanted. It's you, either you got it at the first try or you didn't. Or you can figure it out. <sighs> God. Yes. I mean, and that's kind of the reason why the onion and click hole and that whole masthead has been so devastatingly white. Right. Because it's about POV. It's not about skill. Yeah. This is joke yeah. math. So just tell me how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i mean like come on i mean you, you know so it's just like and so but the thing that was baffling me was that she was just like i never told anyone i never asked mm. for an extension i never i was just like i just carry this by myself the burden the yeah. burden yeah. and and all the failure is mine right but all the success is shared <laughs> you know what i mean i was I was thinking about this. It's like a lot of like mediocre white dudes that have like um, work kind of hard and have a lot of luck will always attribute it to their hard work. And when you sure. see POC who are like come from impoverished backgrounds, manage to get through school, get to the thing and they're like, you know, announcing that they're going to pharmacy school or whatever, they always thank God. Yeah. And like, it's just like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> like what is this you know and it's like to me i'm i think when i'm talking about well being the whole thing is so rigged against the rest of us of course we think it's a feat of god when we make it <laughs> <laughs> it can't be at all you know your hard work or your tenacity or yes. you know timing or whatever the fuck but i can't even internalize the idea that like of the weight and stuff like it's like stuff like that where i'm like I understand implicitly that I'm carrying things and like, it's just, there's so much um, built-in uh, trauma that I don't think we always understand the breadth of. Yeah. Even when you are this age and you are quote unquote, a like mentally woke person, you're yeah. involved, you are plugged in, you're not denying your feelings, you haven't 
gone to uh, denied yourself so much as like going to law school or med school and hating every second of it. We are <clears throat> right. relatively, we are two people that have listened to their hearts and followed their dreams. Right. And at the same, even having done that, we can acknowledge some base things about our trauma and what we do and like the vulnerability, you know, like, yeah, yeah I, I never am looking at that. I, I have noticed that I, throughout the pandemic, I have become way more introverted and I have basically like cleaned up shop as far as like who I still talk to on a individual basis, yeah. you know? And, and there's a part of me that like relished that, yes. that, that anti-social behavior, like yeah, sitting I mean, I under my that. stairs yeah, and I don't. <laughs> like podcasting and zooming and writing. Like yeah. I just became a hermit and I, there's something about that that felt safe, right. that felt in control, mm-hmm. you know, like, and, and now that like you're saying things are opening back up and we're like going back out and doing shows, uh, et cetera. I, I want to talk about GFO in just a second, but it felt like, if it, it when I was talking to Sharon, it felt like I was devolving, yeah, a, 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 as a human being instead of being like excited for the next step of humanity. I was like, no, put, like put me away in a corner where I could just exist. Give me my laptop and my food and my joints, and I'm good. Yeah, and I've and I'm starting to like, I'm starting to notice myself in social situations like not talk and not participate and and com- de- completely detach yeah and just think like get me out of here get me out of here let me go home i just want to go home on my couch and i watch you know like watch hulu or something you know yeah. like and like and that feeling is no good for me i can't that's i, I don't you. want to live like that that's i don't want to live like, and that's fear i know yeah. that's fear yeah and i know 100 percent that is my fear kicking in going you better save yourself. You better go home and fucking let no one call you fat or ugly or stupid or not funny or blah, blah, you know? And then like, no one could hurt you today because you're not going to see anyone today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, I was, I mean, this is what we were talking about. It's like, as things have been reopening, I've been noticing that like those feelings of anxiety, um, are not dissipating in the way that I imagined. They would because we're opening back up. I'm seeing people again. We're indoors. We're enjoying a semi, sort of like a semi-hard kind of life, right? And I think that acknowledging that I'm not feeling better. In fact, I feel even more anxiety given Mm. that there are things are loosening up. And so there's this perceived notion that we should, quote unquote, feel better. Things should be better because things right. are objectively better and there's this like one we're dealing with sort of like our personal journeys towards like acceptance and our own past sure but also there's the reality of the past year that has like probably there's a part of it that is, i feel like i'm fucking different i'm yes. i'm just i could not i when i went when i was doing shows again I couldn't wear the clothes I had worn on stage no. before pandemic. I, no. I had no emotional attachment. That was a version of my, I don't know what version of myself even lives on stage anymore. 
I didn't know. I didn't. Yeah. I can. I couldn't connect with it. I mean, sure, I'm a competent person. I could figure it out. I have a sense of um, ownership over the stage. People, you know, I, people perceive me to be confident. Yeah. But that it doesn't have any connection. And you know, the, the true crushing is when you're totally connected like that. Yeah. When there's yeah. no when who you are on stage how you feel, who those people are in a room. And the thing is, I think it's hard, a lot of comedians, like it's also hard for you to connect with people in an audience because I think there are some audiences that don't know who they are. Sure. It's a, yeah, all of us went through a global 9-11 mm-hmm. and we're acting like we're fine. Yes. We're just not. And that's okay. It's really okay to say, hey, I'm not okay. That doesn't make you worse person that doesn't um devalue your worth you know like it's just being honest like hey i'm not okay with this yet you know and uh, there, something that i have been kind of like teasing with you and the mm-hmm. podcast um is this idea of um comedy being ultimately different yeah you know like after 2020, after Black Lives Matter, after George Floyd, after Asian hate crimes, after the awakening, we're in a different world. And and going back to JFL, like when I did my set, I just couldn't do my I, first of all, I couldn't remember my old jokes, yeah. <laughs> the jokes that I've done nine million times that yeah. I could do in, in with muscle memory. I listened back to my set and I was like, ew, I I, I said that. Yeah, that doesn't even sound like me, you know, and I started like really like, okay, for example, here's me being vulnerable. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right, fans. I hear it. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) I used to do this joke about how, um, uh, you know, sometimes stereotypes are very true. Right. And how I am uh, a bad driver. Mm-hmm. And that is something that is true about me that might not be true about other Asians, right. but I just happen to be Asian. Mm-hmm. But the the horrible thing is I drive a Prius, so um, you can't even hear me coming when I run you over. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's going to yeah. be a surprise attack. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, <laughs> So that's a joke that I used to do and it would get laughs and it it, would be great and I would lean into it. But now I don't even feel comfortable setting up that premise of like Asians are bad drivers because it just feels, it feels late for me. You know what I mean? Like I used to do this joke about my mom being my biggest bully. Yes. Um, childhood bully and I couldn't do that either I just like there was a part of me that that felt like I don't like comedy enough to retread and I don't like my stuff enough to retread and also I'm on stage in front of all these in any given room a lot of white people and they have to listen to me for six minutes so what the I need to say something that is worth me fucking getting up on stage, finding a parking spot, and then like doing this for, and which <laughs> totally spot, changed yeah. my JFL set. Yeah, you know, to 
and in a good way, but there was no part of me after that JFL set, which I crushed. It yeah. was a great response. Two applause breaks. Wow. But there was no part of me that was like, ah, oh, I'm back. You know, like <laughs> there was zero part of me. Even did t- today. Yeah. You know, like I don't really have that feeling of like I guess like identifying as a comic. And the other day I was at a, a we were invited to a, a um, what's it called, uh, a barbecue across the street at a, at a friend's apartment, mm-hmm. and met this guy's wife for the first time or girlfriend for the first time, and she goes, "Oh hey yeah blah blah what do you do?" and I was like, oh, uh, I do comedy. And she goes, oh, we love comedy, blah, blah, blah. And then she goes, where, where can we see you? And I was like, you know what? Actually, no, I'm not a comic. And she goes, what? What? And I'm like, I I used to be, I used to do it a lot, but I just don't do it anymore. And I've kind of transitioned into being a a TV writer. Yeah. And then she goes, oh, okay, cool. What are you working on? And I was like, oh, this and this and that. But it was the first time out loud to a stranger that I didn't say I'm a stand-up or I'm a comic or I'm a comedian because it felt wrong for me because I'm not a comedian. I don't do this. I don't, I'm funny Yeah. and I'm good at comedy, Yes. but it's like saying you're a baker, but you don't fucking ever bake. You know what I mean? Like you could bake and you know how to bake, but are you a baker? But what if you bake no. at home? <laughs> okay yeah if you're baking at home at a level you know, yeah at a, or whatever like yeah sure sure you i guess you could bake at home but like comedy is especially stand-up comedy live comedy is a you need two different components yeah you doing the comedy and someone listening and laughing yes right like i could tell say jokes all all the time in my house yeah. but if no one's there Sure. Am I laughing at my jokes all the time? Yes. I'm hilarious. Me too. But I I don't. <laughs> but doing jokes at home does not make me a comedian. It just makes me funny. Yeah. And someone who r- knows how to write a joke. But I I don't think I can. I don't think I can say that I'm a comedian anymore because I don't do it. And when people ask like, oh, where can we see you? I don't have an answer for that. And I, I don't, I used to have this like anxiety over like, oh, I got to book a show to tell people where I'm going to be. And like, or uh, I got to host my own show so that yeah. I, I could tell people where to come to see me. And now I'm like, after getting back up on stage a few times, uh, you know, doing a one nighter in San Francisco to a bunch of fucking Patagonia uh, yeah. rich white freaks <laughs> <laughs> who had no senses of humor and to crushing this JFL set in front of industry, like, I, I don't, yeah, it it no longer serves me this identifier of comedian and, uh, and mostly because I just don't identify with it. And I I think, uh, you know, when you say you're a comedian, there's a, like, for example, Seth Rogen, is he a comedian? Yeah. Yeah. Can you go see him live somewhere? No. Probably not, <laughs> you know, but like, but you and I coming, coming up in comedy in Chicago, uh, you know, we have this singular vision of what makes comedian, 
Yes. You know, and and we've talked about this a few times over the podcast about like the road life not being for us and it mm-hmm. being set up for straight white males and for the rest of us, quite dangerous yeah. at times, <laughs> you know? And so if we, I keep looking at this paradigm of comedian and what it means to be a comic, a working comic, a, a successful comic, and this like road dog mentality, stand-up comedy store, club rat type of feel is, is one way to do it. Sure. But I, I just no longer can, I'm unsubscribing from that. Yeah, I think a lot of, I mean, I, I would admit, I would say that even in the past few years, it's kind of been like that. This road dog type of version of stand-up comedian has started to recede. There's uh, the resurgence of it. I think there's an ascendancy happening instead of New York that has always been, that's happening with like Rogan people and stuff like that. They're all live shows only. They yeah. do the road and there's people that come out in droves for them. But like, I think when we're talking about, at least for me, identifying as a comedian or not as a comedian, I am, I need for people to look at me. And like, even inside of pandemic having lost that, I know that there's parts of it that I was supplanting, um, supplementing with like other things like Zoom shows and being obnoxious at home, you know, like. (laughs) You know what I mean? I was like, I, I, I knew that's what this itch was. I understood the specific void it was yeah. in myself. I would say that there was also this intangible mental health thing that it was like a, certainly a coping mechanism that I used that was outside of just like the part of, of it that occupies my heart and my soul. Um, you know, when you're talking about this responsibility that we're starting to feel with our material... I think that I feel this as what is going to be a part of the awakening. And as comedians, there is going to be this thing where our sense of social justice is it's not that like it's going to affect because funny is going to be funny is funny. Like that's just kind of like that's how that works. Right. But our sense of discomfort with some material is not going to enable us to be present on stage. So that means it's not going to be as funny. So that already X's that out, you know? Right. Yeah. I, I've, I have found that to be true as well. Like some of my material, same thing, bad driver, blah, blah, blah. You know, um, you know, the only, it's like when I'm driving, it's the only time that white men are afraid of me. And like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, it's, which is true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hyperbolically, it's yes. true because we're both maniacs on the road. Yes. But does it serve the greater consciousness to use that as a launching pad for a joke? I, I, I'm not saying there's a good right answer. Right. I, I'm saying there's only, there's a right answer for me. And um, yeah, it, it just started to like stick in my craw. I don't think that people want to have I think that audience also have a discomfort with it, the same sort of discomfort that we feel. It's not like we are um, such exemplars of like SJW types, you know? No, yeah, it's not even about that. Yeah. It's about like, as an artist, are you you different post-awakening 
versus pre-awakening. Yes. And for me, the answer is fuck yes. Yes. What so deeply, so deeply, so different. And like, I think that I'm deeply different and I'm not only deeply different post awakening, but like post pandemic life. So like, as we're re-entering, I find myself, you know, not only having this sort of like existential, like, um, crisis about my identity on stage, because I think I emerged from pandemic for me more solid in the idea that I am always going to be a live performer. I don't know what version that may take, what form it may take. Like maybe once a week I go to this like stupid showcase or something that I run, you know, some, some version of that. Right. Yeah. But I know without a doubt that this is a part of my life forever. Mm-hmm. I know it with more certainty than I did before pandemic. But what version of I of myself I am on stage, that's up for grabs. And so, I mean, who knows? But also for me as a human being post-pandemic, post all this shit, yes. What you said is 100% true. Like, how can you be unchanged? Yes. How can and you something be that I've noticed like deeply has changed is my attitude on stage. Mm-hmm. And that's made me a different performer. Yeah. And the attitude being that I... Before the pandemic, I used to get on stage, as a lot of POC and queer people do, and create a space for them to come into my experience. Yes. Right? And you have you have to, like, handhold them and, you know, fucking identity politic the thing and, you know, like, set up your whole context for them to oh, understand. You to, yeah. and you have to explain the da, premise. Da, 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 yeah, right? you have to explain the premise. And I can't do that anymore. Yeah. And I don't want to. I don't want to have to figure out on my time mm-hmm. to make sure I sound and um, feel non-threatening enough for you to fucking listen to my jokes. And that's such a huge thing that I have been, since day one, I think, of comedy, that I've been really, like, uh, upset about. Yeah. You know, and, and brimming underneath it all and kind of has ha- had checked out for a second of saying, like, well, that's just the world, so I got to keep, you know, shucking and jiving and, you know, <laughs> put a smile on my face and, you know, soft shoe my ass off stage here, yeah. you know, like. <laughs> but that's completely changed for me now, and I have a sense of anger and aggression about being on stage and now i i i want it to be stripped down to my core because i hate the fact that a, a white comedian can get on stage and his context is default understood by everyone and he and he could go off and do fucking and be silly yes whereas you know i have to be this person that has to keep you know, the the status quo in check so that you don't, you, you know, mass kind of vague white crowd mm-hmm. can sit there and enjoy me with two drink minimums. It's <laughs> enough. <laughs> I, I don't like it enough to play that. I, I, I just yeah. don't have it in me. And that's the biggest thing that's changed for me on stage is that like, I don't want to make you feel comfortable or welcome. I don't care. <laughs> and that was a big thing for me. Yeah. Pre-pandemic is I always made sure that the audience felt taken care of. Right. And because that's your role and your job as a comedian. That's like kind of what the right. deep, yeah. 
Because that's and how I you think quit. That's the, the part of it that I don't care for anymore. And I don't, and I, I, I was saying this to Eric the other day, like, I don't want to go to Tampa, Florida and get you to like me, this crowd at the Yuck Yucks, Tampa Yuck Yucks, yeah. because I don't like you. <laughs> I, I know that. So I don't want to be here trying to do this fucking game where I try to get you to like me so you don't murder me in the park, parking lot afterwards. Yeah. I don't like you. I don't want to be here. And that's obvious. And for me to do a show and for me to participate in comedy, live comedy, yeah. I have to trust and like the audience. That's true. And sure, that might be like some a Rogan-esque whatever the fuck guy to be like, well, you should be able to perform in front of anyone. Says the white male who's heterosexual, sure, that yeah. makes sense for you. Hit the road, Jack. I'm fine with just doing comedy for people that are here to see me. Yes. I'm absolutely 1,000% A-okay with that. I never want to have to turn someone into a fan. That's not. I'm not here for that. I don't actually care. About yeah. that. I mean, I remember I was explaining to this one time to like an old kind of road dog person. And I was like, I just never want to be the first Asian someone meets. <laughs> and he was like, exactly. He was like, what do you mean? I was like, I was like, he's like, what do you mean? I was like, you know exactly what I mean. Like, I don't want to yeah. go to St. Louis and have yeah. like someone scary come up to me and be like, I didn't think I'd like you. Yeah. You know, or you know how many times that has happened to me in San Diego with military people? Yeah. Like alpha bros coming up to me and be like, man, that gay shit is crazy, but yeah. you're funny. Yes. You know, and it's like, and I have to be like, Haha, yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks for coming out. <laughs> and so it's Fuck like, you. Yeah. No, I, just, I don't, I don't want to have to keep fucking excusing my existence so that you feel comfortable. I'm done with that. Yes. I, and I think that like this, for us that those and for me particularly i think um for whatever version of myself i am going to be post pandemic is so closely tied to who i will be on stage and it's still in flux i don't know i don't know sure. and like even the time and this is what's gonna i think that our society is changing but it's gonna be like a painful chrysalis before we emerge because everyone need, literally I think everyone in this country that has done the good things and like actually been in quarantine shut down did the homeschool did all the stuff like literally upended their lives lived in misery for 14 15 months all uh, all of us deserve a year of free therapy we deserve <laughs> a, like from the federal government we deserve yes. Of, like we should all get us in addition to our vaccination cards we should get a special gold star that says this person gets to be a little extra crazy yeah this person you were a, a good citizen i was a good citizen and that is why i'm fucked up right now like yeah. i should i deserve an extra week on all school assignments all work assignments <laughs> give me some fucking time give yeah. me a second and when i order fries there better be an onion ring in yes. there yes Two. Be two. two. One is a mistake. Two yeah. is because yeah. I've been a good citizen. Citizen. Yeah. That's it. Like You're that, right. That's there like, should be a bonus for us. Yes. Because we've done the it's fucking like, work. You know? yes. Because like we do all the fucking right things. We do we look out for the community. We keep it Confucian as fuck. Yeah. And we still get fucked over. <laughs> I'm sick of it. I mean, truly, like that's 
to me, like we are gonna, we just need to process who we are now. Everybody, everybody, because I, I acknowledge I'm operating with a certain high level of anxiety. I know, you know, many of my mom circles in particularly, in particular, like they're hurting, hurting. Um, women are dropping out of the workforce. There's been fucking so many New York Times articles about this. Like that's it's like gonna affect what the culture looks like moving forward. That's how much this has been. How much this is fucked up. So you tell me. Like give me an extra week. Give all of us some time. Like and we also. I think this is the reason why I wanted to talk about this, Peter. Is that I want to normalize having this conversation with your friends. Normalize yeah. having this conversation in some professional more like in a truncated professional way with your coworkers we need to talk about it and be kinder to each other while we can before like you know Trump runs again in 2024 and this shit starts all over you know what i mean like we just need to process this in a healthy way otherwise we are headed for hell hell because none of us are okay no we're struggling <laughs> We're struggling. Yeah. I mean, I've been sneezing through the entire podcast. It's crazy My to see. allergies are. It's. I'm. Uh, we should have not done this podcast today. My nose is dripping. This is not a good <laughs> sound for anyone for to hear me go. Wait, Peter, <laughs> I did not know that you could take two Zyrtec. I didn't either. I think it's backfiring. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're always uh, supposed to say what. Uh, <laughs> God. All right, guys. Well, uh, you know. I, Today is a weird day. We're talking things out. I just did this therapy session. I was talking to Unji about like, and, and this ther therapy session was why I even off mic brought something up to you. Yes. Was because she was like, be vulnerable with your friends. Yeah. Like, and, and, and don't make sure, and not that this is a conflict between you and I, yes. but in my head, I was like, well, if Unji doesn't bring something up, I don't want to like pester her about like, oh, I've been noticing you, you know, you seem a little off, yeah. you know, like maybe you're dealing with some extra anxiety, whatever. Like all the things that I know to that I have noticed. And I brought I it up don't... immediately. You're like, so how are you? I'm like, let me tell you, I think I need to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, thank you for asking me a very casual question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna unload Thank you for not making me go there and drag it out of you. Because yeah. I was, I, 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 I had this like, and I, I'm sure you guys are all feeling it too, right? Like this, this weird um, anxiety around the anticipation of, oh, like is that too much? Am I crossing a boundary? You know, am I gonna offend? Is this something that I should just shut the fuck up about unless she brings it up? You know what I mean? But like, I feel like we're all of us are doing this, maybe. Yes. So because of that, nothing ever gets done because we feel like not not, you know, testing the waters of a friendship is more important than reaching out to a friend and saying hey i care about you i'm you know i i love you and i want you to know that right you you seem a little off is there something off and i was like are you yes, okay i am off yes everything is off <laughs> everything is the sky is falling <laughs> yes Thank i am God really, we got there. yeah i mean and the thing is like 
sharing and normalizing this conversation again i think is really important because i mean candidly peter like you are probably you and like one of my other friends like my old friends oh <laughs> first name last name so are like one of the only people i am like i would talk like this to do you know what I mean? Like, cause like one, we Same. sort of, yeah. Like we are only one of the Same. Only- I don't have that many friends that I can be that open yes. about. Also, I never really feel you judging me. Yeah, no. Or shaming me. No. Cause first of all, how dare you? Yeah, that's what I would think. I was like, how dare I? <laughs> Who the fuck are you? And I know like if, if like I judged you, yeah, you'd be like, don't Look judge at your me. fucking yeah. life, bitch. <laughs> fucking mess <laughs> I mean it's just I think part of it is because we've already I mean just inside a pandemic we've kind of gone through all all the ups and downs and then like even I think Peter you are very vulnerable on the pod I think a lot of the listeners would attest to that it's like especially with your journey towards emotional like sort of I, I don't know I'm only using this word because of my Christian background but like salvation Right, like <laughs> you know, like your your road. I need to be emotionally sanctified in the blood. <laughs> but you know, like I'm, yeah, like that sort I'm of trying to be better than my dad. Yes, yet journey. I am, like I'm on that journey right yes. now. So, like, yeah. so since you've been sharing it, I think we both have learned the language and talking to each other about it. Yeah, you know, and we've learned it together. Yeah, that's been nice. Yes. I mean, that's, I think, part of the reason why, like, it wasn't, like, one person and, like, you came and you're looking for advice. We were both kind of, like, flailing in the night. Yeah. We're like, (laughs) hey, we got to have it together, right? I'm I'm touching a wall. What are you touching? And we're just kind of, I think it's a floor. I don't know. (laughs) We're just, like, touching blindly our way through this. Yeah. But, like, just having this conversation, especially in pandemic, like, post-pandemic or pre or whatever this again, like nebulous time is can be called. I think that this conversation needs to be normalized. I really can't stress this. Like, I think one, it will help everyone feel less alone. Mm -hmm. And two, you know this, Peter, saying something out loud and bringing, giving it a name oftentimes strips so much power from this. Yes, immediately. Immediately. Yes. Absolutely. Because because when you are facing anxiety and you don't know what it is, it feels all consuming. Once you identify it, you can see it in front of you and it's inside of a box. Yeah. And it's tiny. It's tiny. And you're like, oh, that's what that is? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, you know, in the name of being vulnerable, you know, I will share that. I have been struggling with a lot of imposter syndrome and self-worth issues. And, um, you know, sometimes I'm really scared that all the work that I have done after I left tech. Yeah. Which is, you know, I'm at a privileged place right now where I'm being paid to write comedy. Yes. 
um, that it'll all just dissolve and I'll have to go back to a job in a new industry. What, Costco? And it won't even be tech. I mean, may I, mother, may I work at Costco? They have really great benefits. Amazing benefits. I can't endorse Great hourly the, wage. Great hourly wage. They are very intense about partiness, I will say. I mean, yeah, you should be. <laughs> no, I mean, like, they can't even be a minute. Like, they're like crazy about oh, it. Yeah. Oh, really? Yes. It's like okay. that. That. So, I mean, like, so that's the trade off. That's fine. Okay. If that's the trade off, you have to be on time. Yeah. But wake crazy up on time. Okay. I, you know, that's one crazy I can deal with. Yeah. That's fine. But that's the only thing I've ever heard about them negatively. Okay. Yeah. But I'm a Costco so stan. So same. like if that's my new career, then so let it be. <laughs> um, I guess I feel immediately better now. <laughs> like I could work at Costco. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> that sort of anxiety I have. Well, yeah. Like, I don't know what happened. It was a certain point. And I remember ta- telling my husband, I was like, I'm not afraid of, like, even if we go to Costco, whatever, like the two of us working and like not even that hard, we would make more than my parents had raising me. Yeah. yeah. Like the fact that Absolutely. We, we speak English, 100%. we have like the college agrees, like it's just like, we good. Like we're already at better. Off. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's yeah. follow our dreams, baby. Let's just like do it a little bit. You know, we got, yeah. <laughs> just, just try uh, it. I mean, like we have, we, I see what you're saying. You're saying that like, even if I fall. Yeah. I'm going to be falling on a f- pillow top. Yes. Not on cement. Yes. Not okay. dirt. You've got not a mattress. Dirt. You've got, you've not got absolute mulch. Yeah. You have, what is it? Yeah. You got, you got sections, you know, where like you have different parts be different firmnesses. Yeah. That is, you know what? That's so interesting. I never thought about that. And to even compare it to our parents, because in my mind, the fall from grace and absolute rock bottom is in my mind the poverty and trauma from the poverty i experience yeah. while living with my family yes that's the trauma that holds me to this unassailable amount of perfectionism and you know like i have to be crushing i have to be the best i have to be you know like mm-hmm. i have to be like work 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 and so that i can never be in a situation of someone coming to the door and be like, where's the rent? Yeah. And I have to make up a story about my, how my dad is sick. Right. And, and that we can't pay the rent for yeah. another couple of weeks. So please, please give us some time. Oof, and then learning, the, learning to lie for your parents is such a crazy lesson. It's, I mean, it's, tra- it's it crazy. Makes, it, it completely shatters your youth. You yes. have become adult. Yes. I became an adult very fast. Yes, at seven. When the first time at, you yeah, exactly. yeah, the first time you fill out a tax form, you send in yeah. a tar- parking ticket. <laughs> the first time you write a jury summons thing that excuses yes. your parents from to the a DMV. DMV. We yeah. talked about to who it may concern. Yeah, to who I mean, so the first time you do that, that's done. But like this is the thing, Peter. Sometimes this is the only thing I ever walked away. This is like I don't remember when this happened. Maybe in like, it was when my son was little. But this is sometimes, sometimes coming from that is a gift because there's no way you'll ever get be there again. I, see, I didn't think about that yeah. till just now. Yeah. That that's there like, will be no way I can go back ever there. Ever go back there. So that's like, that's, the, that's, so people that sometimes come from privilege. <sighs> Hold on, I got to take this in for a second. 
Because sometimes people who come from privilege have the expectation that they will be less than their parents and what they grew up with. We do not have that pressure. Wait, go back to that privilege thing. Why people, do they think that? Because, I mean, almost think about almost every single white person that we know. They're like their parent whose parents are super rich. They very yeah. rarely are going to be as rich as their parents. Oh. <laughs> I mean, like that's just the bar's too high. The bar's too high, so like they get and our bar is so in the low. Sub-basement. Yeah. yeah, so like that's what I mean. It's like that's that, actually very astute. And that, I have not thought about it. That way. I mean, also I have like sort of like you know I, my family in America, my even my Korean side in America, it sort of is like not affluent and continues to not be affluent none none of my dad's side really made it out my mom's side in korea all very affluent smart people they did it you know with you know a stable political Uh regime uh they managed to do it my father's side didn't matter like they're just gonna continue (laughs) to be just poor you know and that's fine but the thing is they're all even incrementally better they are all it's still fine and that's it'll never be what i am fearing yes there's just no way. So maybe there is a moment that I need to take and acknowledge the irrationality of my gut fear and PTSD, which is the knock on the door. Yes. You need to get out of the fucking And baby, house. enjoy the view. You're on a mountaintop. Like maybe not the tallest mountain, but you're trying to traverse. You've got the mountain gear. You can afford some additional <laughs> stuff. You got new shoes. You got the little pipe. Yeah. You know the 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 what is it? The pick. The cleats. Yeah, the cleats. Yeah. You got the pick. I mean, you started off with There's just a, a llama rope behind me. Yeah, so, you started yeah. off with just a rope. So, bitch, baby, you're doing it. So just take a moment and look at the view at the very least before you continue your trek upwards, because yeah. there's no way. Even if you go further down that mountain, you're never reaching. You know what I mean? It's just not a thing. Yeah. I I won't fall that far. Yeah. To me, I just can't imagine a world where, wow. like, even if I did lose everything, that I couldn't get a job. You know, like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. The fear of being uh, in poverty stricken yeah. is irrational. My parents had no money. My parents couldn't speak the language. My parents, I, my mom, no I think. Clout, no clout, nothing. My parents, are, my dad and no them friends, had a high school degree. No community. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, no, there's nothing. They had, only could borrow money in order to open a business because there's that's right. they had to create their own job. And it's usually while you're eating naengmyeon at a fucking ketton yeah, uh, restaurant. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Our, our, our ketton place. Microfinancing from, yes, the, from the start. Yes. Like original microfinancing. I mean, and that's the thing is like they needed to create their own opportunities. We don't even have to do that. We can just go get an opportunity, an opportunity. <laughs> we don't have to create anything you're right you're right we are i am way better off yes than my dad and your mom even the powers combined you're better off <laughs> you're right you're right that's that's actually good perspective Unji. yes because they're also both of the both all of i our have parents- to remember that i'm better than my parents <laughs> Better off. Yes. Better off. Better off. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Off, off. Go. <laughs> well, mean, you know, this podcast started with me asking how you were worried about your mental health. <laughs> and and you're, you're, here you are helping me <laughs> calm down from my anxiety attacks. So this is exactly what I wanted. <laughs> I mean, truly, like, I was telling you this when at JFL, um, 
my manager's assistant. How was your set, by the way? I teased that for a second, and I want to talk to you about the set and how you felt. It was Not okay. Not about, like, how, yeah. It was okay. What was it like going back to the, into side the swing? Of, to the side of my bomb? I didn't inspect the stage to see if my blood wait, was wait. there. Let the <laughs> remind the. It's been way too long yeah. since that set. That set was 2019, right? No, it was 20. It was two weeks. It was before. 2020. No, no, it was two, uh, two weeks, weeks before, before shutdown. Yeah, no, I had bombed. It was my first show back two weeks before JFL. I asked Curtis to put me up two weeks before my sh- the the JFL set. I I went there. I bombed for 11 minutes. I was supposed to do six, and then I just bombing. <laughs> Yeah, I was just bombing. I had a full panic attack. I, it's the first time I've been indoors, seeing people without masks. They're not laughing, so that was good. Oh, yes. I, I remember <laughs> that. Yes, yes, yes. But yes, I mean, yes, like, yes. so I bombed, and then so I went up there, dressed very differently than I have ever been dressed. Like, you noticed it. I was, like, very casually dressed. Yes. And I was, like— You used I, to, like, put up a whole getup. Yes. It was a red into The look, you would have the—yeah, and then yes. you go and then do the thing. Correct. I was very dressed down. This is like the new, me figuring it out. I'm starting from the yeah. bottom, you know? And so dressed down, I did my set. It was fine. It went fine. Did I crush? No. Did I? You're like Alicia Keys, like post makeup. Yes. You know I'm what I mean? Figured, like yes. your natural look, you don't really know like what the vibe is yet, but yes. she's still authentically her, but it's giving you a new feel. Yes. And I did not crush. I did not do anything. I was not a standout by any means, but I did fine. I did myself, mm. a version of myself, plus some old material that I had cobbled together and written that day. So, yep, yep. Uh, yeah. So I kind of like figured it out. But the thing is, I was present enough to be able to do that. So that was a mm. good sign, right? Yes. That's fine. I was myself. I did what I do. I didn't crush. I didn't do whatever. It was probably the best JFL set I've ever done because I have self-sabotaged right. every other one. <laughs> Yeah, last time you ate something, what did you eat I that ate, like gave I, you gas or something, or you were throwing up? I or? ate. I took eight multivitamins. Oh yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> I took like a bunch of vitamin D's, two B complexes, and like an alpha brain, and like an um, and then also like a, a char activated charcoal, and then I started dry heaving before I went on because I hadn't eaten anything. <laughs> Crazy. I know it's crazy, but like, but so it went, it was better than that set. And I mean, like, you know, whatever, like I, but so my manager's assistant was there and she was like trying to hype me up. Cause you know, this is the yeah. role of your team, which I have trouble accepting. Accepting. And so I was just, yes, ending everything. She was like, you did great. And I would go back at her era and say, you're doing great. I think you're so, it's so exciting that you have a new job and you're really doing it inside <laughs> of a pandemic. I can't believe it. How have you been? And she like uh... was like, her face was like, what? What's what are you? Yeah, why are you asking I'm me? Talking about you. you. Yeah. <laughs> I was telling you, she like at one point was like glaring at me being like, bitch, let me do my job. Stop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, stop turning this around. This is about at one point she was like, stop complimenting me. This is about you. She literally said that. Yeah. Yeah. And how did that feel? I thought it was funny. I was just like, oh, God, it's so embarrassing. And then embarrassing embarrassing and then i was yeah. like i in my mind why i allowed it to continue was because i was like this is her job so i wanted her to succeed yes. and so then i yes. needed to <laughs> shut up <laughs> there you go that's a good way <laughs> but i mean it's like i think that that sort of for me like it's you have the imposter syndrome and for me it's it's that 
but I also feel embarrassed about even being here. Like I'm embarrassed that like I've somehow insisted on arriving because I know that I'm here for a reason and it's because I've insisted. So I'm proud of the fact that I'm, I have a bad personality. Like, you know, like I'm proud of the fact that I'm annoying and persistent, <laughs> but yeah. like I'm embarrassed about the talent and like all the same, very similar imposter syndrome stuff, you know? Mm, but yeah. like, you know, I, I would say that I was reading this thing about how the imposter syndrome seems to afflict very specifically women and people of color. And it's yep. that they feel insecure about not being able to succeed or be worthy of a place in a system that never had them in mind. That's exactly it. And so then it's not an imposter syndrome. It's a fucked up system that we are being asked to be a party right. to. <clears throat> right. And we're feeling like, oh, we don't belong here because everything is built for not me. Yes. So that's... You what, don't belong yeah. here. You don't belong here. The imposter syndrome is like, oh, I don't feel worthy enough. No, you are worthy enough, but they're saying you're not. They you're are, not. don't, they're yes. gaslighting us into thinking. Yes, that's what it feels like. Yeah, like it's being gaslit. Yes. Like I keep seeing that I am worthy, but I keep being told that I'm not. Mm-hmm. Maybe like not directly, think, why, do, why do you think that you're not worthy? Why aren't you succeeding more given all your talent? Why, why, you yes. know what I mean? It's like this like yes. idea that this is a syndrome. And so it's like, even that is, I, that's what I've been trying to disavow myself of is, of is like this idea that it's imposter syndrome. Like I need to feel like, no, I, cause there's flashes. A lot of, of it is pedigree too. Yes. Because we, we Korea, and I'll talk about this in the kick-ass Korean. I know we went long and we'll I know, go I right know. to kick-ass yeah, Koreans, yeah. but there is this sense of like, oh, I don't this is not like how we fit into this thing. And I feel like a lot of times I have to be told by a third party, like what we talk about, like feedback, like I have to be told that I'm good. Yes. And it can't be like, and it won't be my mom. Yeah. And it, it can't be like people <laughs> I love or people who are connected to me because I don't believe them. Right. You know, it has to be some objective force. And that's how, you know, Asians are kind of brought up is to like, like climb socially together. Right. So we like we need validation and we need uh, an external kind of stamp. And, and that's kind of like learned from us and uh, from our parents and I, it wasn't until when I was telling you, like, the best thing you can do, Unji, is get a mentor. Yeah. Because someone who is willing to mentor you is someone who only has your best interests at heart. Yeah. And that is missing in our lives. <laughs> <laughs> so when I have a mentor and he, when I, you know, send him stuff that I write and he looked and he gives me notes. He makes sure to say that, hey, you're a great writer. You're really good at this. They're lucky to have you. 
you are fantastic. This is a fantastic show, you know, and I have to be told that from someone where I'm like, why there, I, there's no other ulterior motive besides looking out for me. Wow. And that has, that's really changed a lot for me is like, and you're an only child. I'm an, uh, I'm the oldest child. So I never had someone above me. Yeah. Be like, hey, kid, you're you're good. It's true. You know, <laughs> it's true. And that's really and our parents didn't do that for us. So like, I don't I need I didn't know how much I needed that. Uh, an older figure, a um, a veteran or someone who's like it, within the system that can tell me, hey, by the way, I'm inside the system. I'm older than you. I'm really great. And you're great, too. Yeah. That really did help a lot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we <laughs> processed a lot yeah. in this episode. We had a whole different section <laughs> planned, <laughs> but, you know, sometimes these shows, we we get into it and, it, you know, the going gets good. So um, I hope you guys can, A, find a mentor out there that is looking out for your best interests and B, like, Hey, just talk to someone yes. about how hard this is because it's fucking hard and we don't have to have the answers. We we don't. Yeah. Clearly this episode, we spent an hour not finding any answers no. <laughs> except for the fact that like, hey, a, a boost of perspective, try knowing that you're better than your parents. <laughs> 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 so, I mean, whatever you do, whatever gets you through the day, baby. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back with Kick Ass Koreans. <laughs> All right, we're back with Kick Ass Koreans. Kia! Thanks for sticking around. This is the portion of the show where we shout out a Korean that's doing kick ass stuff in the world. Today, I have. I'm going to shout out one person, but he's amongst a few others that were covered uh, in this one wonderful article from Washington Post. Uh, I'm going to shout out Pastor Byung-chul Han, a pastor of all people. You know how I don't fucks with the church no no more, but I do fucks with uh, spiritual leaders who are doing the right thing. Mm. So he and some other courageous Korean clergy have been profiled in this Washington Post uh, article uh, that came out May 21st and the title is Korean Pastors uh, Fight Racial Justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, some Korean pastors say they need to be more vocal about racial racial justice. Now, Pastor Pyong Char Han, he uh, is one of these pastors who's daring to call out racism and, and talk about social justice uh, amidst a flurry of warnings from fellow pastors Telling him not to touch the subject. Yeah. Very interesting. We know it. It's that conservative evangelical arm of the Korean church diaspora. Yes. Who are very like, uh, you know, turn around, support patriarchy, support white supremacy, and don't talk about uh, Black Lives Matter. Yeah. It's a corporate not just she's. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, Pastor Pyong Han says, quote, I got several phone calls from my Korean past, uh, pastor colleagues uh, saying, hey, pastor, this is a very delicate and sensitive issue. Mm-hmm. We should be careful to deal with this. 
you know, Pastor Han, who's 57, he said, you know, despite the calls and, you know, the efforts to galvanize Korean American faith leaders in the wake of the killings, uh, you know, some people didn't even bother to return his calls. And, wow. you know, it, this is a really sad thing. And, and but to have Pastor Han out here really like working for the cause and doing the like good Christian work uh, is really inspiring to me. Right. Uh, here's another quote. He said, this is a time for healing and healing begins when we boldly confront and admit that we have a problem. Hey, look at that. That's kind of the thesis of today's episode. Yes. There's a, we have a problem. And he said, I believe that God will only help us heal and reconcile once we admit that our society is deeply wounded, mm-hmm. plunged in racism and chauvinism. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. Speak on it, Pastor Han. <laughs> Pastor Han, he goes on to denounce white supremacy, the pervasive silence among Korean Americans on hardworking Asian Americans have uh, have overcome discrimination to achieve prosperity more so than black or Latinx communities. This is a myth. This is the mild minority myth that our community has gobbled up and yep. th- and and turn around and you know fucking shine it at black and brown people. And mm-hmm. you wonder why black and brown people are attacking our elderly. You know, this is all part of that same part and parcel of that same system. He uh, goes on to say, "We cannot remain silent anymore. Can't you hear the words of George Floyd, who died at the hands of a white police officer, screaming, 'I can't breathe.'" We want to live where we can breathe. So here's a pastor really being outspoken about Black Lives Matter and, you know, the really and really like trying to galvanize Korean American Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's doing the good work. So, Pastor Pyeongchar Han, you are yeah, kick-ass Korean this week. Keep doing it. Yeah. Okay, my kick-ass Korean is, her name is Amy Lee. She is uh, raised in New York, second-generation Korean American. Um, and she's like the leading researcher of hanji um, hanji which, hanji which is korean paper oh. now she works and lives and teaches in cleveland um she's uh i think now in korea she's like a fulbright scholar okay exactly um and so hanji the reason why i wanted to bring this up is like one she's doing cool stuff go to her website uh there's but the what the what I was very interested in is like the Korean paper, right? Like the very thing that we use to write on. The fact that like this, it just really deeply resonated with me because like right, lately we've been talking about operating inside of white power structures. We're all using, mm-hmm. that's the paper. Even the paper that we use to write our own stories is essentially, that's the, that's the existing power structure. Yeah. And for me, it was like very, Interesting. and then for me, it was like the fact that this paper, the very paper could be Korean, mm. right? Like I forgot, I didn't, I couldn't. And the thing is, I remember making this mulberry specific, t- this type of hanji is like big part of Korean culture. Like um, mm. even she talks about it, but like even Chinese scholars and artists preferred Korean paper. There's a very unique way that Koreans make their paper. And um like this sort of like cultural pride, but for me, it was just very deeply resonant about the paper that we use being Korean. And I was like deep in my feelings, you know? So that's why I was like really swept away. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, even the paper we use could be Korean. <laughs> like, uh, not just the words we yes. write on it, not just the words, not just the images, but like the actual thing. Even the vessel. The vessel, like yes. that 
Like the fact that it didn't occur to me that in my mind it was like this bitch took out a mead notebook and wrote in Korean. Like I just like it didn't. You know what I mean? And so, <laughs> and the thing is like this. So I think there is this um op, this sort of like burgeoning opinion inside of white America that identity politics is ultimately dismantling. And the mm. thing is like I don't think they understand the deep damage that has occurred within our own community. And this she specifically kind of like. Um, rejected her Asianness as an adolescent, and there's I think that's such a common story in, among Asian Americans that we reject because we want to succeed inside of this larger structure that is overarchingly male and white. Yeah. But then ultimately we realize we lose ourselves and it feels wrong, so we have to come back to it. That's the identity politics. We have to mm -hmm. repair ourselves. We have to find yeah. our own and figure it out and that's when we can go back to this existing power structure and like simply dismantle it <laughs> simple as that baby <laughs> but yeah that's uh, amy lee that's what i wanted to highlight yay amy lee. well that's been our show check out our kick-ass koreans thank you for listening to us yeah hopefully you can find a little bit of you know a community feeling with this it's hard out here and <laughs> we especially for people who uh, are highly strong anxiety anxiety ridden people like me yes. and unji i'm sure you guys are out there too take care of yourselves really take care of yourselves that means more than just taking a bath it means really looking and decoding what the hell is up and taking you know real strides towards uh, a, a sense of well-being in a totalitarian way, not just physically or mentally or whatever. All right. Thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.